If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 29th chapter, the book of Jeremiah, as we continue our study through the Word. So you will remember that there was a, a partial deportation. Babylonians uh, had come. Daniel, the others, had been taken into captivity in that first uh, wave. And, and you'll remember that there were false prophets now that were in Jerusalem that were declaring that these captives are going to return soon and, and Babylon is going to fall. And... And you remember that Jeremiah was telling them, no, that's not true, that God is declaring that 70 years they will be in Babylon in captivity. And, and so the false prophets and, and the true prophets uh, of God here and, and God's people not knowing whom to listen to, the nation not knowing whom to listen to, they had lost their ability to discern evil. The enemy's great tactic is to take evil and make it look good and to make good look evil. It happened at the very beginning with Adam and Eve with, with the fruit there that was the forbidden fruit. And, and you'll remember that there was the challenge by Satan of whether or not what God has said was actually true. Has God really said to you that you can't eat that fruit? And, and he said that the reason is, is that God's holding out on you. God knows that the day that you partake of that fruit, you will be like him and you will know good from evil. And, and so the, the enemy now takes the goodness of God and makes it look like God is holding out. He is withdrawing the great blessings that are available to us. And, and Satan is going to open up the door to those blessings that God will close. He will take evil and make it look good and, and good and make make good look evil. It is the spirit of man, the spirit of God in man, and conscience that helps us to know truth, to be able to have that confirmed in our life. When we have our consciences seared, when we have become so like the world that we are no longer able to discern good from evil, it puts us into a very dangerous place. Our nation struggling with simple things like right and wrong, simple things like what is truth, simple things like what is sin. And we see that there is great confusion. There is the voices of those that are saying to do whatever you want and there is no right and wrong and just enjoy your life and don't judge anybody else. It's an absolute moral free-for-all that, listen to this, we've evolved to a moral free-for-all. And then there is the voice of God who has never changed, who does not change, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever tomorrow or forever a or b either one both right answers you get credit for both of those but he never changes and his truth never changes and and so we have the the voice of god that is always speaking and and that you have the false voices that will always contend with and will always speak and it is the individual person's choice 
of whether we are going to listen to the truth of God and be governed by God. Israel means governed by God, whether we will be governed by God or whether we will govern ourselves. And so here we see that this battle is being played out on a national level. It's being played out and here the nation of Israel is the kings now are trying to decide to which prophets to listen to. The false prophets always tell you what you want to hear. It, it, they're always morsels that, that are pleasing to you, telling you the things that, that you hope for and that you wish would be the outcome, but they are not necessarily true. And, and so Jeremiah, as this true prophet of God, is constantly now in contention with these false prophets and, and the leadership of the nation back and forth. You will remember how Hananiah last time had stood up and declared that uh, the, the goodness, the peace that was going to be upon the nation and all. And you remember that that Jeremiah calls him out and calls him out as a false prophet and declares that before a year's time you will be in the grave and God judges the false prophet Hananiah and we see that the fulfillment of that. Jeremiah is now going to write a letter to those that are captive in Babylon. And this letter he is going to tell them that you are going to be there for a very long time that God is the one that has brought you into captivity. And so make yourselves comfortable there. Marry, build your houses, build your lives. You're not coming back in a week, a month, a year, or in five years. This is the, the, the word of God to you. And so the, the people in Babylon, they, they weren't settling into their captivity. They, they were expecting, they had these false prophets that were in Babylon telling them that, uh, that you're going to be set free. You're going home soon. And so if you had a voice that's telling you, you're going home soon, you're going home soon, it was unsettling to them. And so God's voice is going to come through Jeremiah to, to tell them now that this judgment is from the Lord. And, uh, and so we are going to see that it is also going to give them a, a future and a hope in the aspect of the fact that, that God has not, though he has judged them and brought them into captivity, he will return them after 70 years back into their land. He hasn't cut them off. He hasn't forgotten them. They are not outside of the blessing of God and God's forgiveness. And, and so here we see this letter now in chapter 29. It begins in verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And this happened after Jochaniah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths uh, had departed from Jerusalem. And, and so here it, Jeremiah is going to insert the very letter that he had written now to the 
the, the captives that were there in Babylon. And, and he identifies the deportation as the one that is associated with the removal of King Jehoiachin and the queen mother. So it wasn't Jehoiakim's wife because Jehoiakim was not married, but his mother, whose name was Nahushta, and she was carried captive but with him. And so we have a, a date, a stamp on this of 597 BC. Uh, and so says that they went into captivity and then also craftsmen and smiths uh, uh, as well. We see that Nebuchadnezzar took uh, the, the craftsmen Two reasons. Number one was that he would use them uh, there in Babylon. They were valuable to him as builders, but also so they couldn't rebuild in Jerusalem. He took the, the craftsmen away. They couldn't forge weapons against them and the smiths and all. And so he, he brings them uh, out uh, of uh, uh, Jerusalem, brings them captive uh, back to Babylon. It says, and the letter was sent by the hand of uh, Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. So we see that there were some ambassadors from Zedekiah that is sending now this uh, message. They carry the message. They are probably on official business uh, to Babylon and they carry Jeremiah's uh, letter. And so here are those Jews that are in Captivity in Babylon receiving this letter that Jeremiah writes uh, from Jerusalem. Now, I want to remind you that Daniel, the young prince, uh, he is one of those that is receiving this letter, would have heard this letter now that Jeremiah had written. He says, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am the one that caused you to be carried away captive. And so here we see that they have to understand, they have to come to the recognition that they are in Babylon now as a result of the hand of God. Lest they do what? Fight against the hand of God. We never want to be fighting against the hand of God. Amen? We always want to be doing exactly what God wants us to be doing. And so God was speaking to them and ministering to them. But the first step here is that they were there by the very hand of God. He says in verse 5, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. I think there had to be a certain element of discouragement when God says, build houses. You're not coming home. The false prophets were saying that, get, get ready, go get your stuff packed. This is just a, a quick stopover and we'll be back home again. We'll be underneath our fig trees. We'll be enjoying our vines in our, in our homes and in, in our land. And, and so the, the false prophets were declaring these things. And Jeremiah sends a message to them. Thus says the Lord, 
build houses there. You're not coming home. Your captivity will, will be for your lifetime. And not only build your houses, but also have your kids uh, give them in marriage. <laughs> beget your sons and your daughters take wives uh, for them he says that you may be increased there and not diminished and so much in the same way when God had taken the nation and led them into Egypt and he built them into a nation there they multiplied in Egypt and then he brought them uh, out of Egypt uh, he is bringing them into Babylon but you will remember that there are those that have died by the sword. They will die by the famine. They are going to be reduced. And so they are going to need to repopulate themselves here. And so Jeremiah is exhorting them and encouraging them that you may be increased there. Their lives were on hold. And it's always a, a hard place in our life when we get into a holding pattern. God always wants us moving forwards, amen? So forwards in your life, forwards in your relationships, forward in your relationship with God, in your relationship with others. God wants us to be continually moving and, and, and not camping out. God says that when you seek me, you will find me the act of seeking the act of drawing nearer to God continuing to explore who he is God delights and wants you to get to know him and and so we never want to be at a place where we are just cruising or circling or we are just sedentary or planted here he is telling them it's time to get moving move your lives forward make your lives there in Babylon and and so we see here in verse 7, it says, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it. Can you imagine? He's telling them to pray for the peace of Babylon <laughs> instead of praying for the peace of Jerusalem. The reason being is they are now in Babylon. They are connected to Babylon. And so the quality of life in Babylon is going to be connected to the peace there in Babylon. And, and so he, he tells them that they should be praying to the Lord for the peace over Babylon, that, that their lives may be well. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And so instead of hoping for Babylon's quick demise, you know, and hoping that the enemy comes in and routes them and then they would be free to be able to return back again, we see that there was to be a prayer for the peace now. And so the prophets and the diviners who were predicting their soon return to Judah were prophesying lies and and Jeremiah calls them out that they were not sent by God. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. And so God doesn't leave them in the dark. 
lets them know exactly what his plan is, lets them know the duration of their captivity, that it is the 70 years that they are going to be in captivity. And, and so they are to remain loyal to God now in this heathen land. And, and so if they're faithful, God is going to bring them back after the 70 years. It is interesting in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, where Daniel talks about the fact that here in this year when this letter came, that he came to understand the length of their duration there in uh, captivity. And, and you remember that in that ninth chapter is where he is seeking, he is repenting, and this is where he gets the, the, the prophecy now, the incredible vision of the 70 weeks. Now, the prophetic future of the nation of Israel and of the Messiah and of the great tribulation. And so that all in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel connected here to this letter, him having heard from Jeremiah the truth about the length of their captivity. And so, verse 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. A great memory verse here, Jeremiah 29, 11, where we see the heart of God. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. You see, it would be easy to be looking and, and saying, oh, God doesn't love us, and look what's happening to us. We've been taken into captivity. He has forgotten about us. And, and there are times when we are going through difficulties or hardships when we can feel like God has forgotten about us. Like, God, don't you see my pain? Don't you see my suffering? Don't you see my sorrow? And, and when there is not an end in sight, when we cannot see the, the end that God is bringing us towards, there can be that, that despair when, when we are going through hardships. And, and yet here we see that God is declaring that I know the thoughts that I have towards you. He says, thoughts of peace and not of evil. God loves you. Amen? And everything that God does is for your own goodness, for my own goodness. We see that the Word of God tells us that all things work together for good. How many things? All things. Let's say that together. All things work together for good. Now, why does he bring them into captivity? How did that work out for good? Because they weren't following him when they had their freedom. And it wasn't until he takes away their freedom that what happens, it brings about repentance. Now, what did he want? He wanted their heart. He wanted relationship with them. Well, he could have warned them. He did warn them. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to say, you are in idolatry. You are walking away from me. Judgment is going to come if you continue to do this. And, and so he gave them their freedom and he gave them their warnings and their warnings and their warnings. And then finally, when they are misusing their freedom, with now no sign that they are gonna use that grace of God to turn back to him, God says, I can't stand the separation any longer. You're making me move into action to do what? To change our relationship, 
to get you back right to, with me because we're wasting time. When we are living our life separated from God, I consider that to be wasted time. Amen? We're just spinning wheels here. We're just a burning clock if, we're, if we are not connected to God and, and growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And, and God created us and he gave us the lifespan. And, and, and while we do not know the end date of the last breath that we're going to take, guess who does? God knows the, the last breath. And, and, and so he doesn't want to see us waste this precious time that he's given to us here upon this earth being separated. And, and so they are misusing their freedom. They are straying even further from him. So he says, okay, that's it. You just lost your freedom. You get to go on a timeout. And then instantly when they're in a timeout, what do they say? I'm sorry, I'll listen now. And, and so we see the repentance that comes about now. And he gets, can we get out of timeout now? No, you're going to stay there now for 70 years. But we can have a right relationship now. So make your homes there and, and we can still enjoy fellowship now and, and I haven't forgotten about you. I know the thoughts that I have for you. I know the thoughts that I have for you. God's thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. His ways are so much higher than, than our ways. And, and as a parent, I think that nothing taught me more about my relationship with God than being a father with my own little children. And so, having boys, and, and they can't understand the things that you are doing and how you have their best interest in, at heart and, and, and some of the harder decisions and some of the discipline that, that you have to do in their lives. And, and yet, you know that your heart towards them is as big as the, the Grand Canyon and you wouldn't harm a hair on their head. And you're me, Dad, you're so me. You know, and that kind of stuff, man, it just strikes your heart. But, but it's the exact opposite of the, the truth. It's what they're feeling from, from their perspectives. And, and here we see God talking to us. And he's saying, I'm not mean. Every, everything that I do in your life, even, even when you're hurting, even when you're struggling, even when you're going through hardships and things that you just can't understand, God, God says, I'm not mean. I know the thoughts that, that I have towards you. They're good thoughts. They're, they're thoughts of, of peace. And when you think of God's thoughts towards peace, sometimes we can think, you know, peace like I get everything that I want, you know, or peace meaning that I don't have difficulty or hardship in my life. I, I, I'm just at peace. But I think that the peace that he's concerned with the most is to be at peace with God. It means having a, a clear conscience towards him, having a, a right relationship. What God wants more than anything else in your life, far more than you being comfortable, which oftentimes is what we want, amen? You know, I mean, I, I, want, I want comfort. I don't want distress. I don't want trouble. I don't want difficulty. I just, I want ease, you know? And I, I want that comfort. I want that peace. But what he wants is that peace that comes when you are connected rightly in relationship where there is no conflict, where, where there is just the sweetness of, uh, of unity. 
I love to watch people that have been married for extended periods of time. People who have been married 30, 40, 50 years. Anybody married 30 years? Raise your hand if you've been married 30 years. Anybody 40 years? 40 years. Uh, more than 40, 50 years? 50 years, oh my gosh, and over 50 years. And so it is, it is awesome to, to watch them because there is such a unity that they have. There's such a peace. You're together 50 years. The, the, you can finish each other's sentences. There is just, there is so much communication going on without words. It doesn't even need to be. There is such a, a unity that takes place. That's that intimacy, that, that oneness with God. Marriage is only a typology, a, a human experience of what the intimacy and the oneness and the connection with God is. And, and, and so what does he want? He wants that peace. We're just eating breakfast together. And there's just the sweetness of fellowship over coffee and orange juice. No big, elaborate, no fantastic, wonderful, just enjoying that intimacy of constant connection. I, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, and they're thoughts of peace. That's the kind of peace. When your heart is at rest, when you're safe and secure in the presence of, of someone that has been with you, for 50 years has had your back and you have walked through the trials and the difficulties and, and the storms uh, of life and, and there you are just eating breakfast and together, enjoying that, that fellowship. I know the thoughts that I have towards you, God says. The thoughts of peace, that's, that's what I want. I want breakfast every day with you. Those are called devotions. <laughs> to get up and sit and to just enjoy the, the presence of the Lord. And it's, I, I know that's, that's my thoughts. They're good thoughts towards you. They're thoughts of peace. They're not of an evil. Now, again, writing this to those that had lost their homes, lost their businesses, lost uh, friends and relatives. They had been deported and they're there by the, the, the waters and in Babylon. And, and they could be feeling like, you know, God, where are you? God, you, you didn't protect us. You didn't rescue us. You don't love us. And, and here God is he's saying it's the exact opposite. I love you more than you will ever even possibly know. God loves you more than you can ever even possibly, more than I can even begin to comprehend how much he loves me. What is man that you are mindful of us, that you would care about us, that you would love us so much, and yet he does? Because he created you, because you're his workmanship, because he knitted you together in your mother's womb, and he drew you out, and he put breath into your lungs and he sustains your he, every beat of your heart is sustained by by the goodness of God by the grace of God I know the thoughts that I have towards you they're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope I want you to know the best is yet to come amen, amen. say that with me 
The best is yet to come. I mean, that is the glorious truth that we live with as Christians, that, that, that it only gets better. It's, the Bible tells us that we go from glory to glory and then enter into his glory. And that, that is the future that he has, to go from glory to glory. You see, God is changing you. He's molding you and shaping you into the image and likeness of Christ. He, he keeps rubbing off hard edges in our lives. He keeps replacing them with gentleness and goodness and kindness and long-suffering. And, and these are the things that, that now we're reflecting more and more of the glory of God to the world that is around us. The, the light of God's grace is shining and it's reflecting more and more. We, we continue to experience the sweeter intimacy, sweeter fellowship with Him, deeper connection with Him. And, and then ultimately, this life is over and we enter into his glorious presence that's the future and that is the hope that he has given to each and every one and he wants you to know it he wants you to know that you're rich in your inheritance you don't have to worry about your eternal 501k program you know or 401k or 403b or 5079b whatever they all are you don't have to worry about any of them you're rich you're going to enter into the inheritance of God. You're going to walk on streets made out of gold. You're not going to have to collect it, you know, chiseling out a little piece. I got a piece of gold now. You're rich in Christ. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for you, what, what God has prepared for you. How glorious that that is. Here, God is declaring it to you tonight. I want you to live as a person that has hope. I want you to set aside all of your cares, all of your troubles, all of your burdens. Cast all your cares on, on me, God says. I know the thoughts that I have for you. The thoughts of their peace, not of evil. To give you a future hmm. and hope. Have you ever seen a person hopeless? How tragic that is when a person loses hope. How lost and sorrowful that is. God never wants us to live as a person that has no hope. He has a future. He has a future and a hope for us. And so even when you can't discover your future and, and your hope, God has your future and your hope. And as a good shepherd, he will lead you into that future and he will lead you into that hope, the goodness of God, the grace of God. And he wants you to live like you're loved, to live with that as a present reality because it is a present reality. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. And so... In verse 12, he says, Then you will call upon me and go and, and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You see, that's all God wanted. He just wanted a restored relationship with them, and there was no other way of getting that except bringing them into captivity. One of the, the absolute things that I love about God that I see in the Scriptures all over is, is that God always uses the least force necessary. Amen? He uses the least amount of force necessary to get the correction, to get us turned to where he wants us to go. 
And so here he says that you're going to call upon me and you will now pray to me things that they weren't doing. He was sending prophets to them. He was asking them to call upon him. He was asking them to turn and they wouldn't turn. And now he has them deported and now, now they get right with God. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so the truth is, is that God is desiring this intimacy, this fellowship, this communion with us. And, and when we seek him, you will find him. When you truly desire a relationship with him, he will make himself very real to you. And to deepen that intimacy and that relationship with you. How do I know that? It's a promise of God right here. When you seek me, you will find me. When you search for me with all your heart. He says in verse 14, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. And so and here we see the, uh, the, the promise of their return. You will seek me. You find me. And you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found and I'll bring you back again. Verse 15, because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. And therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. The people, they disbelieved Jeremiah's uh, message because it contradicted the message of the false prophets that were there in Babylon. And the false prophets in Babylon were telling them that they are going to be released and, and proclaiming now the, the, the swift return of those in captivity. And thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword the famine and the pestilence and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten they are so bad and i will pursue them with the sword with famine and with pestilence and i will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse an astonishment a hissing and a reproach among all the nations where i have driven them and so we see that Jeremiah now is declaring that those who had not been exiled, if they rebel against the Babylonians, that they will then suffer the sword and famine and plague. And he says, because they have not heeded my words, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, neither would you heed, says the Lord. And so... The exiles uh, uh, and those um, back in Jerusalem had not listened uh, to his servants, God's servants, the, the prophets, uh, Hosea and Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah and, and the others. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all you of the captivity, whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Coliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Maaseiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. 
And so there were false prophets that were there in Babylon telling them that God has raised them up as prophets. And you don't need to listen to prophets that are in Jerusalem because God has given you prophets right here in Babylon. And we are these prophets. And we are telling you that, uh, that Babylon is going to fall and we are going to return. And God says, I am going to take those false prophets that I have not raised up there in Babylon. I'm going to hand them over to Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> and Nebuchadnezzar is going to slay them uh, as a judgment. And so we see here that Ahab and Zedekiah, these were two captive false Israelite and prophets. And, uh, and so they're predicting Nebuchadnezzar's and, and Babylon's downfall. And word of that is going to get to Nebuchadnezzar that, that these guys are going around saying that Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall and that uh, Babylon is going to fall. And, uh, and it says, and because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in, in Babylon, saying, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, who the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them, indeed I know and am a witness, says the Lord. And so they were executed, they were burned in Babylon. Oftentimes they used fire and burning of people as a judgment. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and when they wouldn't bow down and they were put into the fire here. Well, these two prophets were burned for their judgments against Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylon. And God said that I am going to make them I am going to judge them using Nebuchadnezzar and you will know that they are false prophets. And so it became a, a, a phrase that the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab. And so that became a phrase uh, there. Their death by fire would give rise to the curse that would be used by the captives. And verse 24, we see that there is now a second letter that uh, Jeremiah writes that was the first letter that he sends and and then there is a, a second letter so after his first letter there was another prophet to, in Babylon who writes to the leaders in Jerusalem wanting them to punish Jeremiah for the first letter that he sent and uh, and so it says in verse 24 and you shall also speak to Shimei the Nehelamite saying thus speaks the Lord of hosts the God of Israel saying you have sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem to Zephaniah the son of Messiah the priest and to all the priests saying the Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada the priest so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet that you should put him in prison and in stock. So he's speaking about Jeremiah, that Jeremiah should be put in prison and that he should be put in stocks, that he is a, a demented, self-appointed prophet. Now, this is a self-appointed prophet in Babylon accusing Jeremiah of being a self-appointed prophet there in, in Jerusalem. And so he, he's writing this letter to try and get Jeremiah in trouble and to have him thrown into stocks. You should have put him in prison 
prison and in the stocks. And now therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet unto you? For he has sent to us in Babylon saying, this captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruit. And so Shemaiah here is declaring that, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Jeremiah has written this letter telling us that we're never coming back, that this captivity is going to be long. You should throw that guy in prison. Verse 20 now. Now Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. So <laughs> when they received that letter from Shemaiah, they called Jeremiah and said, hey, we got this letter. This is what they're saying about you. This is what Shemaiah is saying about you there in Babylon. And so it says, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, send to all those in captivity. Saying, thus says the Lord, concerning Shemaiah, the Nehelamite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, and I have not sent him, and he has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemaiah. So first, you know, Jeremiah, the Shemaiah is trying to have the, the leadership in Jerusalem punish Jeremiah. And, and what ends up happening is Jeremiah sends a, a letter back to him. I got bad news for you. It's not the leadership in Babylon that's going to punish you. The Lord is the one that is now going to punish you. And he says, behold, I will punish Shemaiah than a Helamite and his family, and he shall not have anyone to dwell among this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. And so, underneath God's guidance, Jeremiah sends uh, now uh, this uh, message. And, and so, the, the judgment now upon Shemaiah. Chapter 30. We see here that the Lord is going to tell Jeremiah to go ahead and to record now the, these promises in a book for when the exiles come back again from captivity that they would now have the records here of the promises of, of God. Verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. And so his promises of comfort now were to be contained in a book so they would be available to those, uh, to the exiles uh, afterwards. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And so God's uh, first promise was to bring the nations of Israel back uh, from captivity. And he promised to restore them to the land that he had given them. And so this provided hope to those who had been dispossessed uh, and brought into captivity. Now, verse 4, these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. 
And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved uh, out of it. We see the return of Israel and Judah is going to be preceded by a, a time of national distress. Cries of fear and terror are going to be heard amongst the captives uh, there. And, uh, and so what time of trouble is Jeremiah referring to uh, here? Some feel that he's pointing to the fall of Judah to Babylon or to the later fall of Babylon when they're captives to the Medo-Persians. But we see here that this is probably referring to the tribulation period and, and the time of Jacob's trouble. And, and that period is going to end when Christ himself uh, returns uh, to the rescue and to establish his kingdom. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and I will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up uh, for them. And so instead of serving foreign powers and uh, the nation is going to once again serve the, the Lord. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return to have rest and be quiet and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. And so here we see the, the promise of God in verse 11. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. For I am with you. God wants you to know that you are not alone, that he is with you and that he is for you. Over and over, he says, I know the thoughts that I have for you. I am with you. I am for you. He says, you're not going to get away unpunished, though. I mean, the Bible says that the Lord chastens those whom he loves. Uh, and so in the same way, the Bible tells us that if you spare the rod, you spoil what? The child that without discipline, now there is no growth and there is no correction and there is not going to be a healthy relationship that is going to transpire. And so the Lord chastens uh, us and, but he does it lovingly and in a way that draws us to him. But I am with you. He says to save you. I will correct you in justice and I will not let you go altogether unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable and your wound is severe. He's talking about the nation's sin right now. He's talking about their, their going into captivity and they had gotten to the point where their their sickness, their sin was incurable and it required God now to take them into captivity. He says, for thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable. Your wound is severe and there is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. They had no ability to, to, to heal their own sickness and they had no one to help them. He says in verse 14, all your lovers have forgotten you they do not seek you, for I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one. 
for the multitude of your iniquities because your sins have increased. Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities because your sins have increased, I have done these things to you. He sends them prophets. He calls them to repentance. He calls them to himself. And their sins, instead of decreasing, what happens? They increase. They, they become worse. Their behavior gets uh, worse. And so uh, he says, all your lovers have forgotten you. That's the allies uh, of the other nations that they had placed such great hope in, in helping <laughs> Israel, they've all forgotten her. And he says, because I am the one that has wounded you. In verse 16, therefore, all those who devour you shall be devoured. Remember that anybody that comes against Israel, God says, I am against those that are against the nation of Israel. And so, though they will come and be devoured, God will ultimately devour. Though he will use these other nations as an instrument to bring judgment, he will still hold them accountable for their sin against the nation of Israel. Therefore, verse 16, all those who devour you shall be devoured. And all your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. And those who plunder you shall become plunder. And all who prey upon you, I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord. Because they called you an outcast, saying, this is Zion and no one seeks her. We see that God promised to restore Israel to spiritual health. He will intervene for the outcast for his outcast people thus says the lord verse 18 behold i will bring back the captivity of jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places the city shall be built upon its own mound and the palace shall remain according to its own plan and then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry i will multiply them and they shall not diminish and I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. And so I will bring back, the Lord says, the captivity of Jacob's intent. And so God's restoration is going to involve a, a physical rebuilding. And so he is declaring he's bringing them back into the land. And, and the palace is going to be built again on the ruins. And, and the festive sound of rejoicing that had been silenced by the Babylonians, that is going to once again be heard in the city. And I will multiply them and they shall not diminish and so we see that God is going to increase Judah numerically. Verse 20, their children also shall be as before. And their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. Their nobles shall be from among them. And their governor shall come from their midst. And then I will cause him to draw near and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. And so the nation will be secure. It will be established before God. He is going to oppress anybody who seeks to oppress the nation of Israel. The leader of Israel is once again going to be one of their own instead of a, a foreign appointment. 
And we see that the ruler is going to come close to God in his service. We see that God is going to declare that Israel is God's people and that he is their God. And so Israel will finally experience the relationship with God that he has always intended. What a glorious end that the nation of Israel will finally one day experience that relationship with God that he has always intended. But the wicked, he will bring judgment against the wicked. Verse 23, behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it and until he has performed the intents of his heart in the latter days uh, you will consider it. And so the whirlwind of the Lord is going to fall upon the head of the wicked. That's his righteousness. God's righteousness, he is going to judge the wickedness. But we have the righteousness of God in contrast to the grace of God. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way in which you love us, oh God. The thoughts that you have toward us. They are more than the stars in the sky. They are more the sands in the sea. We cannot even number them. And your thoughts toward us, they're of peace, not of evil. To give us a future. To instill hope in each and every one of our hearts. God, we ask that you would help us to respond to your goodness, to your grace, to your loving call that if we will seek you, that we will find you, if we will seek you with our whole heart. Father, I pray that you would help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that this is the first most important of all of the law that we would draw near to you and you promise that if we do that that you will draw near to us and so father bless us help us wash us cleanse us i pray that you would strengthen us if we are weak that you would heal us if we are sick i pray lord that we would repent and turn away from any evil that that may have caught our fascination or may be drawing us or calling to us. God, I, I pray that we would clearly know good from evil, that there would be no confusion in our hearts and in our lives, and God, that we would firmly stand upon the truth of your word. God, bless us. We are your children. We are your people. We love you. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.